0: Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter.
1: Episode 64, recorded on March 18th, 2020, the Cloud Pod on Lockdown. Good evening, Jonathan, and welcome back, Peter. Hey, how's it going? Good other than I'm stuck in my house with my kids. Yeah. And I can't leave. So that's that's not so good. But uh other than that it's uh going pretty well. Work's been very productive with all this extra time not commuting.
2: Right?
0: <laughs> I actually had to drive down to a place right by the office yesterday for a doctor's appointment. I made the appointment right by the office because, you know, it's convenient. It's 5 minutes away except now it turned out to be a 2-hour drive there and back. So <laughs> Was it crowded on the roads? It was not. In fact, I, I took a picture down in Pleasanton of uh, the intersection of Stone Ridge and what other, what's the other road? I forget the other road now. No cars there at all. It's like 5.30 in the afternoon. Normally, it's absolutely jam-packed full of people. Yeah. Zero, zero cars apart from me. It's uh, very, very creepy. But I've never had a commute back from the office at that time of day. That only took me 40 minutes. That's a good half hour short than usual.
1: Wow. Easily a half an hour shorter than usual. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> so,
1: Well, I mean, I guess that kind of leads us right into the, the most important story is uh, that everyone's kind of on lockdown here with coronavirus uh, and COVID-19 or whatever, whatever name you want to use this exact moment for it. Um, SARS version 2, I heard out there as well. But uh, it's been kind of an interesting time. I'm sure you guys are all coping with working from home in your own ways. Uh, We're here actually in lockdown in the Bay Area where we're actually not allowed to to be socially distancing by not leaving our house. (laughs) So,
2: yeah, I heard they're predicting a dramatic increase this year in pregnancies and divorces. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: well, actually, that's a that's I saw an article out of China that was saying, basically, you know, as the lockdowns left, that was a there's a very large line at the divorce office. (laughs) And then, uh, yeah, I, I suspect someone mentioned on Twitter, I think they called them coronials, uh, <laughs> which I think is a fantastic it's name. Good. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, I've, uh, I've gotten really good at changing in my Zoom backgrounds and calls. Uh, to keep it fresh and so I think uh, today I was in I was in Cabo San Lucas on my my zoom calls Ooh, nice. been slacking a lot uh, in, in the, the chat type not the not the real slacking uh, <laughs> and you know just doing the normal things that you do but uh, just from my home office how about you guys how are you coping with all of this
0: uh, the zoom background is pretty fun I had the the mash like field hospital background earlier today <laughs> Ooh, <nice. laughs> which is uh, you know touchy subject but it's pretty funny um, it's it's pretty tough I mean I, I think I have a head start on working from home I've worked from home for a lot of years. And so I, I know how to do it without you know, doing the laundry or doing anything else or seeing stuff around the house and get distracted. And um, I, I think it, it does take some practice and people who haven't had the opportunity to do before are definitely going to have a hard time getting into it. But um, I, I feel like I'm more productive working from home than in the office anyway. So it's, it's all good, really.
2: Yeah, about 80% of our business is remote. So I've worked remote significant amount of time and I actually don't know when I would get my laundry done if I couldn't work remote. (laughs) 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 But yeah, it's been, uh, it's been pretty easy, but it's been funny how, um, you know, seeing the services, like not just online uh, collaboration services, but just like cell phone service has been spotty. Today I got a, you know, occasionally calls don't go through and it says, we weren't able to connect your call today. I got a, we weren't able to connect your call in Spanish, which was really interesting.
0: Wow, I'm surprised the internet hasn't fallen over just yet, but I think it, it may well do as more and more people uh, end up being isolated. But um, it's uh, it's interesting that so many people are still actually at work. Like you know, the laundry services are still going out to work, and the the yard services are coming around cutting people's yards and stuff.
1: Yeah, it's a little interesting. What is uh, considered essential services versus what isn't? <laughs> I'm not sure yard services get central, but uh, apparently so. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's been interesting to even see some of the uh, you know, services like Google and Slack, they've actually struggled with some of this load. You know, this is the highest peaks they've probably ever had on their systems, and they're leveraging cloud like Azure and Google and, and AWS to really handle this workload. Uh, but all of them have suffered a little bit. with Zooms, you know, their stock's been all over the place. They've declared that, you know, they're hitting record loads, and they're having trouble scaling to it. Slack struggled with a crushing load. Microsoft Teams has had a couple outages out there. Uh, just overall, a rough, rough time uh, in general. So, you know, HugOps, <laughs> for those that us people out there trying to keep the systems running and really driving uh, the willity for us to all work from home in an effective way is super important.
0: I, 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 something I find strange about this whole thing is, I mean, if, if you're an organization that uses Slack or Teams or, or Zoom or anything else, I mean, I, I get video conferencing maybe a bit more prevalent now with people working from home, but, but instant messaging, I would have thought, would be the same regardless of where you are. I mean, are people really communicating more because they're at home versus in the next cubicle?
2: Well, I think, yeah, I think people are using Slack for 100% of their communications now. And instead of, you know, not using it for the guy to talk to the guy next to him in his cubicle.
0: I'll so. do everything I can do to avoid actually speaking to somebody face to face. So for me, I'm using it probably the same or less than before. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. You, uh, I would say that uh, you weren't in the extreme minority,
0: but you might not be in the majority. <laughs> probably probably not, no. I do think it's funny, though. I, I send somebody a message on Slack and ask them a question. And instead of just replying on Slack, I don't know. They, they literally get up from the desk, walk over to me and say, I don't know. <laughs> and then walk back <laughs> to the desk. I'm like, oh, I'm just
2: <laughs> I get, I tell all the time, I could tell the conversation is going somewhere where where we're going to be talking past each other forever and someone asks me a question in a public channel my response is call me
0: yeah <laughs> <I'm> not, not <laughs> no. doing this call me <laughs> yeah.
2: No, that's, yeah that's a fair point <laughs> That's a good tip
1: uh, to just, you know, when things aren't communicating well on email or via Slack, just get on a phone call. But, uh, yeah. well, uh, at the end of the show, we'll share some of our work from home tips uh, as some people are very new to that process uh, as kind of our looking ahead segment. Uh, the other thing that uh, is kind of interesting out there, the uh, Amazon actually released a open source uh, post basically saying, you know, first of all, there's Chime. And if, if you want to use Chime, you know, go ahead. But then they also gave you a quick start guide on how to set up uh, a service called Jitsi, which is an open source uh, web conferencing solution, which is kind of interesting. Um, so do check that out if you're looking for the ability to host your own uh, online video conferencing system to help you through this struggling time. You can apparently do that with open source, which I didn't even know existed.:
2: I didn't either. Yeah, that's cool. I, I used asterisk and FreePBX for years and years and years. <laughs> uh, yep. And it worked great on I had an instance running like from 2008 until 2014. I think we should have done in 14 or 15. Uh, And I don't think it went down once. It was
0: awesome. I remember Asterix and buying the the, the FXO card for the computer so you could plug a real phone into it and do stuff with it. It's really really good fun.
1: Well, you know, other than the web services guys having a tough time, you know, one of the things about Slack, they actually had their earnings call and they actually mentioned that they're concerned about. Uh, profitability for next quarter and i was thinking about why that might be and then i realized it's all these companies who are now on the free tier for slack who's funded <laughs> up in the last two weeks uh, yeah. and uh suddenly that free tier doesn't look so good to uh, slack's accountants i'm pretty sure
0: right they're wishing they charge per message instead of per user <laughs> <laughs> yeah very very true yeah really <laughs>
1: Well, of course, this uh, coronavirus stuff has led us into a couple more conferences being canceled. So Microsoft has uh, canceled its Build Developer Conference uh, amid the coronavirus outbreak. WWDC has gone digital, uh, which will be in June. Uh, Build was supposed to be in May. And then uh, apparently Google Cloud Next Digital is also being canceled. <laughs> so they went digital two weeks ago, and now they've uh, decided to postpone it, deciding that they concerns with the health and safety of their customers, partners, and employees. Uh, and right now, the most important thing is focusing their attention on supporting customers. Uh, and they'll share a date a little bit later for the new new digital connect uh which i think is just within their way of saying we realize we don't want to do an online conference because no one will attend
0: it so we'll just
1: uh we'll wait till this is all over and we'll schedule a new conference maybe right on top of uh, amazon reinvent just to
0: really (laughs) annoy them (laughs) i assume it would be hard for them to organize a conference and and actually create the content without them being in the same offices together so yeah we had
2: booths planned for uh, google next and for the aws sf summit so both of those are off
1: yeah, I have a, I have a lot of stickers that I was going to hand out at your booth, and they're now in a box in my office looking a little sad.
2: We're still holding out hope for Chicago. So if that doesn't get canceled, you're welcome to join us there. I don't know if i will to join you in Chicago, but I will definitely send stickers. <laughs> so I will, I will pass them out. Well, we'll uh,
1: we'll keep our eye on. I'm a little bit nervous about reinforce right now, which is supposed to be in June. Uh, they haven't said one way or the other, but I, you know, this is, keeps saying it slips out farther and farther every time the uh, they announce something new. I heard even the president saying uh, August t- yesterday, so I was a little that made me a little bit nervous because that's I think a little closer to my vacation. A uh, cruise, right? yeah but that's uh oh. that's
0: a, end of November, so a cruise yeah yes, <laughs> a brave man. <laughs> oh. COVID cruise lines just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you have to definitely be very diligent about your health and cleaning your hands while you're on a cruise boat. All right, well, let's get on to the news this week. Amazon Web Services has launched several new features here for Redshift, the first one being the ability to pause and resume your Redshift cluster. Uh, this allows you to suspend the on-demand billing while the customer is not being used and only pay for the storage. Uh, for example, a cluster used only for development or for production workloads for like ELT uh, can now have compute billing suspended during the day when it's not processing data and then uh, spin back up at night when it takes on ingesting
0: all of that data for your BI tools. And I bet by by the time reInvent comes around, Redshift will be serverless.
1: Uh, Yeah, you know, it kind of leads right into the next story, which is that they've introduced support for materialized views. Uh, for Redshift, which allows you to basically kind of create a pre-computed uh, set of tables for things like dashboards or BI tools or ELT data processing. And these material views pre-compute the results of the query and efficiently maintain them. Sort of like a store procedure or a, a SQL view, if you will. And I was thinking about these two features put together yeah. with a caching tier mm-hmm. uh, would be really quite interesting <laughs> because now I can process all my Redshift data, put it into these materialized views as a cache and then I just let, basically turn off the rest of the cluster because I only need to you know, basically serve this data for a period of time until I need to update it again.
0: Yeah, I find it kind of strange. I I always kind of shied away from store procedures because I I don't want engineering deploying massive compute jobs on my database clusters because I I have no way of managing what they're going to do on a day-to-day basis. So I always wanted them to pull the data out and and kind of manage that stuff externally. And so I'm not quite sure how I feel about um, moving the compute into the Redshift service exactly. But uh, I mean, it it makes sense. It's It's definitely on a path to being completely serverless.
2: Yeah. But I mean that being able to pause those clusters is huge. When you see the real cost of like running redshift versus like BigQuery, uh, some of the workloads, the cost was so prohibitive for worse performance. Um, and, but oftentimes it comes down to the re you know, the reason for that is you're looking at it and you're running these dev clusters all the time and they're doing so little work on them. And, uh, and, yeah, I think this is really going to help bring them closer to parity from a bang-for-the-buck standpoint.
0: So we got to make a prediction. Is it, is it a Aurora Redshift, or is it going to be serverless Redshift? How are they going to market this in uh, six months' time?
1: Well, you should wait till the reInvent prediction show. then You should. Determination then.
2: But thanks I've, for giving I've, me some good ideas. Oh, no,
0: no, I, I'm, I'm claiming that right now. <laughs> 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 it's game on this time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> reaching out to all your contacts at Amazon' like okay just give it give me something I'll, yeah. I'll share the I'll share the the bragging rights with you yep. it's, it's all well anyway with these things going on digital we have to make a decision if we're going to uh, do prediction shows for digital conferences which we've never done before so that'll be uh, that'll be a fun <laughs> little exercise we have to figure out sometime in the future so wow
0: well, too. how do we even do that though I mean like, we, we literally have to sit there and watch 2,000 hours worth of presentations to figure out if uh... no just
1: the keynotes I assume they're still going to do a keynote and then we'll just tied to the keynotes. I mean, it depends on how these things are structured. So we'll, we'll make a decision on the fly as we uh, we see what the agendas look like and the itineraries for these digital conferences. So uh, API Gateway is offering a new private integration with Amazon ELB and AWS Cloud Map as part of an HTTP API general availability release. Uh, this allows you to basically use API Gateway to do HTTP API calls, enabling you to easily build high-performance restful APIs that offer up to 71% cost savings and 60% latency reduction compared to just using API Gateway. Um, Of course, you'll never be able to Google this feature, because it joins the friends like Chef Cookbooks and Vault uh, and things that you can't actually uh, Google. Uh, And so that'll be fun to find the documentation for. But if you do find it, uh, you'll find that you can take advantage of several new features, including the ability to route requests via private Amazon ELBs, including support for AWS, ALB, and IP-based services registered in aws cloud
0: map so there you go but i still wish they had a lambda endpoint though because lambda is the service that i actually send bulk amounts of data to and i i want an endpoint for that because traversing the internet then paying for the egress for all the data sent to lambda is expensive and i and you know if i if i could pay the the one or two cents an hour for the for the endpoint in the vpc versus paying for the egress then that'd be much preferable so i'm seriously hoping that's uh on the roadmap too
1: yeah, I mean this is kind of the first step in that direction, right? You get out of the you get out of the complexity of running API gateway for a simple Lambda function to now you can do an HTTP call to that Lambda function.
0: And I, I do like this. The more simplified API gateway now, it's it's a lot cheaper and uh, certainly a lot faster. I mean, yeah,
1: if you're if you're doing HTTP APIs, it's the right way to go. Amazon Elastic for Redis is announcing the new Global Data Store. Uh, global Data Store for Redis enables fast and reliable and secure cross-region replication as a fully managed service. You can write to your Elasticash Redis cluster in one region and have the data available for the read in two other cross region replica clusters, enabling low latency reads and DR across regions. Uh, In the event of a primary failure, you can promote one of those read write clusters, or sorry, read clusters to read write, and in
2: about a minute. So there you go.
0: So it's like a spanner.
2: Either way, you ran into the same issues that everyone runs into as far as synchronous writes across large distances. But it's super cool that they're just making it easy. Hey, we understand the limitations, but we don't want to manage that. Uh, that infrastructure across multiple regions.
0: No, I mean, it's fair. I mean, if they publish an SLA of two seconds for, a, for an update between regions, then that's, that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, it is what it is. As long as you understand the limits of the service, then, it, then great. Use your a Exactly. I love it. Hey, everyone. Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud CloudPod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud, under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. AWS
1: AppConfig announces integration with Amazon S3. AppConfig now supports S3 as a source to store and retrieve your app configurations, uh, which raised the question to me, how did you do this before? (laughs) And that was apparently via either storing your application config as SSM parameters or via an SSM document. Uh, Storing your configuration though in S3 enables customers to store larger size configurations in any format uh, and simplifies the whole path, to specifying a simple URI path to the data in S3. I
0: feel like we kind of come full circle on this because before Parameter Store existed, I used to use S3 for exactly this purpose. In fact, I still do because it's a whole lot easier.
1: I think that's kind of what they've, rea- they've realized is no one wants the complexity of SSM to do this. But I don't know why I would want the complexity of AppConfig because, again, I agree with you. I can just run cloud init. I can pull what I want out of S3 and I can just run my configuration utility. Uh, maybe there's some versioning capabilities in AppConfig that are interesting, but um, I'd have to look
2: into it a little bit further. I really want to disagree with you guys and I can't.
0: Oh, go on. Disagree.
2: No, I can't. I <laughs> totally agree. It's like... I just... I guess the things I do are just, just more simple because it just makes so much sense.
0: Is there some transparency in this, though? Is it, is it, you know, you're not literally going to S3 and pulling the document. It's just storing the document in the back end and you can still kind of pull out named parameters from a document that's in S3. I, I assume they've kind of simplified it somehow.
1: I assume that they allow you to basically set up multiple documents into S3 and then kind of version them, then you can kind of rotate between the versions of the config that you need. So instead of you doing that manually in config files um, or in scripting, you can basically do that with config. And so you can basically call the same function inside your automation, but in reality, it maps to a different version of that config file based on the environment you're in or the version you want.
0: No, I read the press release for this app config thing with the integration with s 3 and it gives like zero detail on how it actually works. I mean, in fact, it kind of, it it just makes me think that you're just literally storing a JSON document in S3 because it even says you don't need to create a schema prior to creating the application configuration, just like if you dropped anything you wanted into an S3 bucket to begin with. So I I don't
2: know. Well, and the other one is when it mentions storing larger size configurations. So obviously you could just drop big honking config files in S3, and it's probably something that uh, Amazon didn't want to support in SSM. Or a config file gets stored as an S3. You don't want to put that into SSM documents. We store a binary code for our application in our config file. Oh, that's that's awesome. Can you please increase the size of SSM parameters to 460
0: megabytes?
1: Well, you do remember, you can pay for those now as, as premium parameters, if you <laughs> recall.
0: If I was AWS and I designed the parameter store, service i would have completely built it around s3 to begin with it just would be a facade in front of an s3 bucket per customer or per account and there would have been no limitation on the size because but
1: the secret is it isn't built on top of s3 everything's built on top of s3
0: (laughs) (laughs) so why the size limit though i just don't i just don't get it
2: it would have been built on top of dynamo for some reason Mm. i don't know why Mm, I don't know about Dynamo for that. So we just. It doesn't need
0: to be fast. Yeah. It's it's going to be a, a deploy time. So you know who cares if it's one second instead of ten milliseconds.
1: I don't know. Well, let's move on from Google or to from AWS to Google. Uh, let's, so this is a kind of a fun story. So Google typically does these blog posts where they talk about different things. They have guest bloggers come on. We don't typically talk about those, but this one caught my eye because uh, it was about finding a problem at the bottom of the Google stack. Uh, this is an SRE blog uh, for DevOps and tooling. Uh, so basically, it, they started talking about you know at Google scale. Uh, million to one chances happen all the time which is an interesting perspective that you kind of have to put into your mind as you think about Google's infrastructure and the size of it globally uh, and so this, this incident basically talks about Uh, An error that they were seeing that was within their error budget uh, limits, uh, and the traffic on their load balancer team was alerted that Google front ends used to cache frequency access contents were producing an normally high number of errors. Um, Apparently, their S3 team basically drains traffic from there to investigate further, which is their standard SOP, uh, which is what you do at Google scale. Uh, And based on prior experience, they know that this is often caused by transient network issues. And so they started looking for uh, some type of error, and they identified BGP flapping. But when they engaged the network team, uh, the flapping actually, seem to be coming from the machine side, not from the router in the ca- in the rack itself or in the data center. So further investigation on the system identified that systems reported a CPU clock throttling due to package temperature above threshold. And they narrowed this down to a single rack with their tooling. Uh, and they noticed that machines next to the rack were not affected. Uh, but this rack was definitely impacted. So they uh, opened a ticket with their DC team and they determined that a physical issue was causing the chain of events. And so the problem that they apparently found was that on inspection of the rack, the uh, casters on the rear wheels had failed and the machines were overheating as a consequence of being tilted in the rack. <laughs> uh, and so there was, a, it was an interesting story. That's really great graphs and, and really uh, detailed prob- troubleshooting they used. Uh, And they were actually able to identify that this was caused by the racks being overloaded. And so their DC team was actually to proactively identify um, other racks that were at this weight limit and potentially address it proactively to avoid similar issues in the the future. Uh, And overall, this is a pretty nice SRE success story for Google.
0: What a great story.
1: It's one of those stories that you don't, you know, like the one where I had the, uh, you know, the ARC failure in the, in the switchgear at a data center, and we lost all of the generator switchgear capability and the city power. Uh, you know, it's one of those stories. It's one in a million, but Google has those more, much more often uh, than I do it in my career.
0: What, what I will say is you would think that there would be monitoring of things like the hardware at, at that level to begin with, and that the, the, the overheating in itself would have been picked up as an error by uh, infrastructure team.
1: You think about their scale again, you don't typically... You know, hard drives fail all the time. They just route around those problems. And so I'm sure that if, a, you know, a hard a server dies because of a heat problem, they just mark it dead and move the load off of it. And then at some point, some, you know, person comes through and replaces it at, you know, when they go through the rotation of those cabinets. Um, it's just a different scale altogether.
0: That's a good point, actually. I guess, I mean, the, the fans fail all the time. There could be lots of reasons why an overheating event would have happened. You would probably think that the wheels would be the last thing you would uh, you would ever think of.
1: When you think about resiliency at that scale, right, you're talking about you probably have 10,000, 20,000 nodes handling this one function and. If you have six servers that are overheating, you know, the, it, in the overall capacity of the pool, it's very ma- it's very minor.
0: So Google run their servers until the wheels fall off.
2: <laughs> uh, very nice. There's a show title for you. Absolutely. <laughs> Go back and change it. It's pretty good. Too bad that wasn't. Dude, if that was lightning round, you would have been a winner right there. Oh. nice, nice. It's too bad. Foghorn recently uh, had one of our longtime colleagues who we worked with for years, and then for a long time, he spent at. Facebook and re- more recently Google as an SRE manager and without giving you any trade secrets, he's shared just some generalities around the fact that you know, Google has gotten rid of all the low hanging fruit. So you mentioned that like these things come up and there's no, it doesn't even cross their failure threshold. When something does cross their threshold, it's usually something that is pretty esoteric, like never would have thought to get that in the plan. And it's, uh, it's always interesting to troubleshoot. That, that's one of the huge benefits of being those hyperscalers is they've literally seen it all.
1: And that's, that's the advantage you're getting is you're, you're getting their experience, which is why you know, looking at things like Oracle or even GCP at some level, they're still pretty new to this game. Now, Google, you have the advantage of that they ran massive search infrastructure for a very long time. Uh, so it's not as much of a problem for them. But, you know, people like Oracle, that's something they're still, they're still learning those mistakes. Yeah, they're, they're a software company. They don't know how to run that stuff. Hmm. Well, I mean, they did by Sun. So, I mean, I, I can't call them completely a software company yeah,
0: anymore.
2: I, I guess I can. I'd be wrong, but I can.
0: It'd be cool <laughs> if there was a site like SREstories.com or something where, where where these kind of tales get, get told because I think they're really interesting. I think
1: they're really fascinating tales. And so there are a couple of podcasts out there. Um, there's a Splunk podcast where they talk about, you know, stories from the pager uh, kind of thing. So definitely there are some out there. Check them out if you're interested.
2: Have you guys read the Google SRE book? Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite good. I would recommend that to all our listeners. By the way, if you're stuck at home now, like we are, and you need something to read, go download the Google SRE book. It's great. Uh, there's a second one now
1: too that uh, it's kind of like an SRE workbook. It gives you a little bit more um, practical advice versus the theoretical high level, and it's also similar from Google. Uh, that's a nice ad- additional. So, if you've read the first book but you haven't read the second one, that's also a great uh, check- thing to check out too.
0: I wonder how many businesses, uh, software or SaaS companies, could can actually implement SRE the way Google envisioned it in their book, though, because you know, infrastructure has typically been a separate entity completely than engineering and you know even even though we've had the whole DevOps phase and the Phoenix book and everything else I I still think engineering still throw the software over the wall and infrastructure people still have to run it and I I don't know how like how, how prevalent it is in the industry that the people in the SRE teams actually have the authority or the expertise to go and re-engineer. Well,
1: I mean, for all the companies out there that took their, their L1, L2 teams or their NOC teams and just rebranded them to SRE, um, they can't. Yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, but teams, you know, there, there are companies that are out there that have done a really great job really kind of taking this, you know, Google, of course, being the poster child, LinkedIn being kind of the second one. They have a slightly different bend on SRE, but very similar in many ways. Um, Amazon, I think, has a pretty robust SRE culture. Um, I don't know about Microsoft. That's one I would be curious about. Someone out there wants to ping us about it. Uh, But, you know, I think there are companies that are very successful, but they happen to be in the fang class of companies you know facebook's netflix's google's uh and not the smaller companies yet but I, I think we'll start seeing implementations that allow it to kind of move down into smaller companies a little bit more prescriptively that's really why this workbook is actually really interesting to me because it gives you that more hands-on practical uh implementation details that i think helps uh, really answer some of those questions that a company uh, who's trying to make this pivot and really likes the idea of it but doesn't know how to get there um, i think it does help them quite a bit
2: yeah, I just I really like Google's model because it really allows for two separate organizations, SRE and development, but allows that allows you to put in place incentives for those two teams to work very closely together and share burden together and share successes together. And that that, you know, rather than just saying, "Okay, we're going to we're going to make them one team because otherwise we can't we can't align their interests."
0: Yeah, but they're, 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 although they're two teams, they they still Rotate engineers through through both teams. You know, if if you're an engineer on a pro, on a product uh, development team, you will still spend some time with SRE. Uh, you know, after a major release or something, because you're the expert in the field. You can train people. Yeah. You can you, you're right there on the ground at release time, and you can troubleshoot and you know the system, and you kind of hand off that knowledge. I think I think that's what I'd like to see more of, especially in uh, you know, the company I'm at right now is actually having engineering kind of suffer some of the pain a little bit, but also bring them in to share their expertise because they're so detached from production and, and the people in SRE or the NOC are so detached from engineering that they have a very hard time communicating effectively about what the problem is and how to fix it. Absolutely.
2: I think that yeah, I I love that model.
1: Yeah, I definitely it's an area that I'm very interested in from my day job and how we convert to being more SRE like. But you you even I look at some of the stuff in the Google book and I'm like, yeah, having a full sustaining engineering team is going to be difficult (laughs) initially. But as you kind of if you actually start taking some of the models they have right, where you have mature applications, you have innovation applications, and you have kind of bread and butter. Revenue generating products, but you know, are the main products, and you have those kind of three dimensions of products, and you can actually see products transitioning through those three different models. Then SRE can make a lot of sense from even the sustaining engineering perspective, uh, where those you know more mature products that aren't getting a lot of innovation or or maybe on the tail end of their of their cycle can get you know, someone to actually care and feed for them and make sure they're secure and they're doing what they need to do, because they might generate a lot of revenue still. And if you think about Google, they have thousands of products. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas most companies only have maybe three or four really major products um, that they're really trying to service. You can be like Slack, for example, right? Their product is chat. (laughs) And maybe they have, you know, a couple hundred microservices as a power, but at the end of the day, it's one application. And so at any given time, the entire application is some level of innovation,
0: yeah, I mean, scale, I, th- I think the scale of the Googles and the Facebooks and the LinkedIn's definitely m- make SRE easier and or more cost-effective to implement than it would be for a smaller company. Agreed.
2: Unless you're really, really, really small and you just have one guy who does everything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Google says that uh, love at first terabyte
1: comes from SSDs plus VMs. Uh, and they are now, now allowing you to attach 6 terabyte and 9 terabyte local SSDs to your Compute Engine virtual machines. Uh, the throughput and IOPS of these new offerings will be up to 3.5 times their current 3 terabyte offerings and results in fewer instances needed to meet your performance goals, which frequently lead to reduced costs. Uh, both the 6 terabyte and the 9 terabyte instances will retain the current per gigabit pricing of the 3 terabytes. Uh, so this is definitely a nice improvement if you're looking for more local disk storage for your compute engine
0: that's pretty big for local storage i think even even the amazon's local nvme storage isn't that big it's a pretty big fault uh
1: area for your system if you have all your data on that local disk so do uh, do take some caution but if you have this use case you know then make use of it as appropriate but take the precautions as needed well azure has a the virtual network nat is now generally available uh, from Azure. The virtual NAT can be configured for one or more subnets of a virtual network and provide on demand activity to your machines. This is a fully managed and highly resilient service with one or more static public IP addresses available, configurable idle timeouts. Uh, TCP reset for unrecognizable connections, multidimensional alerts using Azure Monitor, and optional zone isolation per AZ. And this is available in all public regions. Now, uh, I read that to you while I was thinking to myself, how did they not have
0: this before? Bought you from the Department of 1993 related news stories. Ah, I'm like,
2: come on. It hasn't been, NAT Gateway hasn't been there that long. NAT's been around
0: forever. Well, yeah, but I mean, you could do, you could have done NAT. You could do NAT. You had a one-to-one mapping between instances and public IPs previously. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, that's a good way to use a lot of IPv4 addresses. I do like the multidimensional alerts, though. That sounds very uh, futuristic.
1: Yeah. how? I mean, how many dimensions do you need to know for egress net traffic? <laughs> I mean, it seems like it, it either works or it doesn't. Just enough to charge you for the service, I guess the forester wave has a new functions as a service platform wave uh and microsoft has been named a leader in this this new wave uh number two position behind amazon which is slightly awkward since microsoft paid for this to be uh this this blog post (laughs) amazon is ahead of them with both a strong current offering and stronger strategy than microsoft uh google is a strong performer and not considered a leader yet but interesting enough tencent uh was above them in this particular wave (laughs) Uh, Cloudflare uh, was interesting as well because it had a stronger strategy than Google, but doesn't have the capabilities delivered yet. So apparently if Cloudflare can uh, deliver its capabilities and the functions as a service base, uh, they may surpass Google. I don't know how that works, but it's very interesting. And then uh, poor Oracle was uh, all the way back in its lonesome in the Challengers box. So
0: poor Oracle. Where was uh, 50 Cent? <laughs>
2: I think he's quarantined, making raps somewhere. <laughs> Probably making raps. You you got to just take that quote out out of context and use it as in some other show somewhere else. Making raps.
0: I I really dislike these uh, companies though that will come in and investigate something for you for a price and then tell you that you're the leader. It's it's so dishonest.
1: Pay for play. It's uh it's a good business model
0: for some companies. Functions as a service. I don't know.
1: Listen to the Ben Kiho uh, episode to learn all about functions as a service.
0: I mean, I I, think the, the winning tactic for sure is just come up with a new uh, buzzword and then call in Forrester or, or somebody else. And, uh, of course, you got to be the leader because nobody else has a clue what you're talking about.
1: That's, uh, that's how FinOps became a thing too, technically. <laughs> <laughs> There was uh, there was some there was some chatter about the FinOps and, and being vendor vendor specific uh, a little bit earlier in the week. So uh, we were giving Rob a, b- a bad time about it in our Slack channel, <laughs> and he had a pretty good argument back about it, which I thought was fine. So, but uh, Azure has also released the uh, new feature for the form recognizer, uh, which means they just lost the name for Textract because form recognizer is sort of better descriptive, but also worse all at the same time uh, than Textract is. But uh, they have several new features for the form recognizer. uh, And those include the ability for customization of the service now supports training with and without labels, which makes it easier for customers to reliably extract valuable information from their forms. The new layout API, which is capable of extracting text and tables from documents with highly accurate OCR results. And pre-built receipts uh, to improve accuracy and reduce error rates for key fields, uh, which apparently people are scanning and wanting to OCR receipts for some reason i don't i don't fully understand that use case but someone out there is super excited about this.
0: I know Google will pay you to actually take pictures of receipts. You know, you, you leave a store and location services tells them that you've been in Ace Hardware or Target or someplace, and they'll say, hey, take a picture of your receipt, and I'll pay you 55 cents for it. I, I assume it's all about uh, monitoring the prices of, of uh, goods nationwide, without needing to actually send people around with, with cameras and notebooks and things to, t- to take pictures.
1: That must be an
2: Android thing, because I've never
0: seen that. Well, it's, this is how I fund my uh, my Android games habit, you know.
2: I feel like I can make money by just shopping at stores with really good return policies.
1: Yeah, you you can, in some cases, make that work for your advantage. But it's so much work for so little gain. I don't know that it's worth your time. Well, not my time. (laughs) Well, even the person you're paying minimum wage of $15 (laughs) an hour in in California, it's not going to be worth your time. (laughs) So it's also not worth my money, you're saying. No, I don't think so. It's, it's sort, of like that, sort of like that old scam of like, I'm going to drive all my aluminum cans to Michigan or whatever <laughs> whatever Midwest state is because it's $0.10 cents for there versus yeah. $0.05 cents everywhere else. I found a mailman who will take them with me.
2: <laughs> it's called arbitrage. It's called arbitra- arbitrage.
0: Google Opinion Rewards is what it's called. And uh, part mostly it's, um, mostly it's, hey, we noticed you went to the store. And the first question is always like, so when did you go in the store last? And, and I think it's a check to make sure that you're not just clicking random answers in the in the uh, questionnaire because if you get the answer wrong you don't get paid Anything for the for the survey. But if you get the answer right and the, and the date you say you went there matches the day they think you went there, uh, they'll ask you another question, which will be like, So, how did you pay credit card, debit card? No, ca-, you know, didn't buy anything. Did you pay cash? And then the next question is always, Can you take a picture of your seat? Routinely, you get like 35, 45, 55 cents for some of these things. And sometimes you get questions about YouTube, you know, which video would you rather watch? Which is the best suggestion? As a parent, would you like this over this kind of thing? And so, I uh, don't know, I guess it makes me about like $10, $10 every couple of months probably in uh, answering questions and just saying my soul to the google enterprise can we wire it to and like an ai
2: algorithm that has a huge database of receipts
1: uh, you, you assume they don't
2: have machine learning on the other side to detect
1: the fraud oh, They do like, for sure uh, i'm sure exactly. they, they probably ask three <laughs>
0: people the same <laughs> question
1: <laughs> just wars ai wars yeah, so I mean, I mean, considering how much time you've given me crap about privacy on my Apple devices, I I don't know how I feel about this this admission from you that you are apparently freely giving information to Google for ten dollars a month. I don't, I don't know. I think you're I think you've lost some credibility in that argument. <laughs> I
0: i I've, I think I've realized that there is privacy is gone now, right? I mean, just driving into town, there's cameras over the bridges recording everyone's license plates. Whenever there's an, an old person who goes missing because they've driven off in their car and they've got Alzheimer's or something. All they do is they pull up the footage from the camera and they said, "Oh yeah, they left. They left town yesterday at two thirty p.m." Like the the fact that we're gathering this information is is bothersome, but I think privacy's dead. I've just decided nobody cares about what I
2: do.
1: Every time I I think I'm gonna get really 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 perturbed about privacy and like start, I try to use things like DuckDuckGo. <laughs> I realize that I really want to just pay. I, I really want Google to know what my search habits are because the results are so much better. Yeah,
0: it, it, in a way, you need you need some kind of like a offshore service where you call somebody on a private line and say, "Hey." Search for the thing for me and tell me the top result. <laughs> like completely detach yourself from the from the search and answer process. I d I don't know how we could do yeah. this, but
1: that's uh that's that's more work than it's worth doing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Azure is announcing the general availability of Azure Monitor for virtual machines. Uh, this is the ability to monitor your virtual machines uh, from the OS perspective. Uh, yeah. It provides in-depth view of VM performance trends and dependencies. Uh, you can also access details of a single VM or a scale set resource blade to view the set or a single instance in the set. Uh, Azure Monitor for VM allows you to address performance issues on the guest, to determine back-end dependencies, and discover VM hotspots.
0: I still think monitoring is, is troublesome. Like. 30 years after it should have been solved. And even now, I'm going through the same hassles with, with CloudWatch, and you know, installing a CloudWatch agent, scanning for disk space, scanning for all these things, and publishing custom metrics. It shouldn't be so hard, and it's good to see uh, an out-of-the-box solution.
2: Absolutely. But the more we can get, the better. Usually, I think that the biggest problem is figuring out how to use these tools, not the tools themselves, but making these tools available, especially when you start um, making it possible like across scale sets. Uh, which is the big change between our old static data center environment and your new cloud environment. That's a tough one to get over. Uh, that's a huge uh, benefit.
0: Yeah, it's, it's always difficult because you know, metrics have always been tied to a machine name or a host name or an instance ID. Yeah. But but really, we don't care about that anymore. We we care about the service itself. <laughs> like right. uh, these these ten instances running the service aren't the same ten instances as yesterday or the day before. But I still need to aggregate that data for the service as a whole. And I think it's a huge gap. Um, even even SaaS based services that offer things like you know endpoint monitoring or antivirus or any of these things where you register. When you deploy an instance, there's still this massive gap where there's no like deregistration process where you say, you know, "This machine's shut down now; it doesn't exist anymore. Don't don't charge me for a license for this thing anymore. Don't report on it. You know, don't don't tell me that this vulnerability exists on the server which was decommissioned three months ago because it was an auto-scaling group. That kind of thing. So, yep. um, there's still some some um, some way to go in in monitoring.
2: Yeah, the tools need to evolve a bit more.
1: I mean, most of the SaaS vendors need to evolve too. Like even. Even things like agents you install on servers, and you know the ability for them to register to a console, and they, they don't really understand auto scaling, and so you end up with these really weird licensing terms where you're like, well, I license a thousand of them, but I have burstable capacity up to like twelve hundred nodes. As long as I don't go over that in a twenty-four hour period, I am fine. You know, like these, and they, it's all this weird self-reporting and all kinds of fun, fun hacks that these companies are doing uh, instead of just building out metering capability. But you know, it's it, it's just really interesting to me. You know, how auto-scaling, as old as it is now, is really not really well understood yet by a lot of companies who are selling software and services to
0: instances. Yeah, and some of the terms. Um, I've seen things like if you if you register an agent on a server, you're going to pay for it for three months. Like I, I, I want to scale up, I want to scale down in the same day, maybe even in the same hour, based on capacity. I don't want to pay a three month license for something that only exists for two hours. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, hopefully something we'll all get solved. Uh, but after coronavirus and after everything else needs to get solved in technology, but uh, that's it for the new news. Uh, Peter, let's go to the lightning round.
2: All right, let's get kicked off with AWS Elastic Beanstalk launches Docker on Amazon Linux 2 platform. Well, kind of, because it's in beta.
1: I mean, these are three things that have existed for more than a day. Uh, Beanstalk's been around since, I don't know, Amazon started. Docker's been around for four or five years, and Amazon Linux 2 has been out for over 18 months. How are these still in beta, these three things put together?
2: Uh, It's called integration. Integration. Amazon Elasticsearch service announces support for Elasticsearch
0: version 7.4. Great, they, they haven't stopped innovating. Oh, sorry, stealing somebody else's tech.
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> that lawsuit is still progressing. Let's just say I'm uh, leaning towards a winner already. No, I think so. Okay, power your Azure GPU workstations with flexible GPU partitioning.
1: Yay, I guess. But, uh, you know, they're flexible GPUs. Why do I need to partition them? Why can't I just assign them dynamically to my workstation? That's a very good question.
0: Are you getting, like, a part of a GPU? Is that, is that what they're saying? Is that what a partition is? Like, you, you get half a GPU, you get half a GPU?
1: Uh, yeah, basically. Oh, okay.
0: Imagine playing a game like that. Like, you turn the corner, and you can't see anything. Turn the other way, you can see everything. It's insane. That'd be I, awesome. mean,
1: I mean, that's sort of, sort of how your computer works
2: now. <laughs> it just it's on your desktop, not in the cloud. Amazon managed Cassandra service now helps you manage access to your key spaces and tables by using AWS IAM roles and federated identities. Nothing worse
1: than Cassandra, coupled with you know, all those custom tools and plugins you want to use on Cassandra that now don't work with IAM roles or federated identities and never will.
0: I thought this was like some, uh, some backlog item that they've only got to working on because they're all it at home. I think it's going to be extremely
2: valuable to at least one customer. Is it the most valuable customer? It's probably a pretty valuable customer, is my bet. AWS App Mesh launches support for end to end encryption. Because what I want in my App Mesh is to make it even more complicated to
1: troubleshoot, because now I can't even see the data.
0: Now I got a problem with this. Uh oh. If App Mesh is just a transport layer, if I don't encrypt data into App Mesh, it is not end to end. If I do encrypt data into AppMesh, it is by default encrypted end to end because App Mesh is just a transport layer. So
2: you're saying it's nonsensical.
0: Um, I don't see how it didn't support end-to-end encryption before.
2: And it can't be that the proxies are just handling encryption between the proxies. Well, this is Customers Can Now Use
1: AWS App Mesh to Encrypt Traffic Between Services of Their Application Without any changes to their application
0: code. Yeah. So this is for lazy devs. It's not end-to-end. End-to-end is from the application to the application.
1: Well, isn't, isn't the App Mesh? It's a sidecar to your container, yeah. so it's a very small kernel space where it's not encrypted end-to-end. So yes, you're technically right, but you're being pedantic. I'm being an
0: ass. I've been at home with my kids for seven days. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think this is bad. Wait till next week. Oof,
2: I can only imagine. It's my new, it's my new favorite feature.
0: Amazon Athena now publishes
2: CloudWatch events for Athena query state transitions.
1: If only they would do this for CloudFront events. Because anything only thing slower than Athena query is CloudFront.
2: Which what's your favorite action in CloudFront? That you then have to click the refresh button like a hundred times before it's done. Just changing an
1: ACM certificate is the worst. <laughs> like it's gonna expire in you know twelve minutes,
0: but I have to wait forty five minutes for it to uh, refresh itself. Purging the cache of a single document that can there take fifteen minutes—like literally. Please, I, I'm, I've got a scheduled deployment at whatever time of night tonight. I am going to change all this stuff. Just let me schedule in advance the per, the emptying of the cache. Like, why do I have to do it right now and then wait an arbitrary amount of minutes for it to actually happen? Just let me schedule this stuff in advance.
1: So I did see some chatter on Twitter. Uh, from some Amazon people who said that the the lead time now on CloudFront updates is less than five minutes for most events. Yep. Uh, I have not yet had a chance to go test that, and they have not written a blog post about it yet, so we haven't talked about it on the show. Uh, but
2: if that's true, thank God. But five minutes is still too long. My Rails asset pipeline didn't require any of that. It was wonderful. AWS Security Hub adds new feature fields and resources to the AWS security finding format.
1: And when you look at this, you realize that they are... Just the stupidest fields ever. Like, let me let me add severity, but in a non-normalized format, so that the vendor who's pushing the data to Security Hub can now choose a predefined severity level. Thank you, thank you for that, Amazon. I appreciate that. I now can't call this the really bad, hairy, terrible, awful vulnerability risk level. I have to use critical.
0: Actually, there's one thing I I really enjoy about Elasticsearch and um, the Elastic Common Schema for Logging is that they normalize all this nonsense. And I think um, Amazon and Google and Azure should actually adopt a common schema for all these kind of events because it would just make handling this data so much easier.
1: But then they wouldn't be able to use, charge you for Athena
0: usage. And? <laughs> that would be against they, the business they model. They still charge me for Athena usage, but just imagine how much easier it would be if Athena queries could be you know, commodities on a marketplace. Just like anything else now, because all of a sudden everyone's using the same schema. There's there's no reason why these things need to be branded AWS ECS task definition. It's just a task definition.
2: Azure SQL database default configurations are changing. And the default configuration for me is still, don't use SQL server.
0: And there Justin takes the point.
2: (laughs) That's pretty good. So we have got a dead heat right now. We've got a dead heat in this round. So can i can i petition the no i have a tiebreaker here's the tiebreaker i had a really hard time saying aws security finding format and so i just pulled up stopwatch on a little google stopwatch and I'm, we're going to go one at a time and i'm going to see who can say aws security finding format five times faster
1: by default, Bri- uh, Jonathan loses because the British articulation of <laughs> words
2: <laughs> it make, it insists that he can't he can't slur it together. Okay. He's not a mumble. He's not a mumble rapper. Okay, so then you. So then, uh, Jonathan, you have to go first, so he can set his bearing as to how clear it has to be. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So we're gonna go. I'm gonna go three, two, one, go, and then you go, and then I'll stop when you finish. All right. All right. All right there we go. Three, two, one, go. AWS security finding
1: format, AWS security finding format, AWS security finding format, AWS security finding format,
2: AWS security finding format. 8.56 seconds. Woo!
0: All right. You ready, Jonathan? No. <laughs> I, I gotta figure out a strategy right now. I think uh <clears throat> You can do this. Come on. I can, I can, hang on. A- All right. A- a- AWS, AWS. No, no way wait, wait, wait. I gotta say three, two, one and then go. All right. I wasn't I wasn't starting, I was I was just trying to figure out my, my strategy. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm worried about counting to five right now. Ready? Three, two, one, go. AWS security for informant, AWS security for informant, AWS security for informant, AWS security informant. <laughs> I give him the point. You were way
2: ahead of him, and you fell apart in the fifth one.
0: Ah, Justin wins. Justin yes. wins. <laughs> I learned a tip for um, and, and I'm not gonna do this on the podcast, but I learned a tip for like tongue twisters and things. If you sing them. It's way easier to to get past the tongue twisters and actually trying to speak them because you just your brain just works differently when you're singing. So you know what makes it way harder uh, when you laugh. Yes, also laughing makes it way harder. Also, probably the the wine and uh, the fatigue and all <laughs> that stuff. So mostly the wine.
2: That was an awesome round, though. Good job, guys. That was that was good. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for coming back from Mexico, uh, un unvirused. We appreciate that, Peter. It's always, I think I'm it's unvirused. Good. I'm still putting myself on. Uh, I was voluntarily home quarantining until uh, they mandated it. So <laughs> now, now you're protesting by running down the Embarcadero? Well, they said the one thing we're allowed to do is get outside to exercise and go for a walk. And so we went two blocks from our house. We see the bay and lo and behold, there's a whale jumping around in there. So, Yeah. yeah.
1: That's pretty cool. yeah,
2: yeah the uh, apparently the uh, Jake Tapper on CNN, I think I, I don't know I don't know what yes, his things,
1: but he, he apparently was all yelling at, at San Franciscoans for being out walking. I'm like, well the, but that, they were told they could do that. it's, it's okay. Yeah. We were
2: told we could do it. Sunlight is a natural antimicrobial, and we were actively practicing social distancing while we were walking. so he can uh, he can come talk to me if he has a problem with that.
0: I mean, it's San Francisco, people naturally just cross the street when they're coming upon a stranger anyway, so it's, it's, it's just true. the norm.
2: Dude, that is more true. Oh, that is very true.
1: Well, normally, uh, normally here we talk about uh, what we're looking forward to in the next few weeks, but uh, nothing's happening in the next few weeks other than we're going to see our houses a lot. Uh, so I thought maybe we'd share some working from home tips uh, for those of the, who are new to it in the world. And uh, so I thought that would be a good place to kind of start today and finish up the show. So uh,
2: Peter... Well, you want to give uh, some of your tips? Sure. Yeah, I gave one already, which was, you know, for people who aren't used to the um, and are having trouble with the asynchronous communication via email or the Slack where you really don't get to talk to someone, you get to stop them. They don't get to see your expressions. Uh, Just if if you feel conversations going sideways, pop on a video conference right away. Just stop the conversation. Say, let's let's get on and talk this through. Uh, That's huge for me. I think that the, uh, and then for me, the other one is, you know, when you don't have that, when you when there's too many distractions around the house, uh, I turn on music when I'm working and it keeps me in a groove and then I just work all day long.
0: Nice. Jonathan, do you have a tip? I do, I, I've got a few really. I like mentally separating the work time from the home time and either I'll go outside and just breathe the fresh air for a little bit and come in and then go and sit down at a desk or I'll go for a walk earlier and then come back and now it's work time. I, I think I think one of the biggest things for me is it's it's very easy to keep checking your phone. You know, you can bring your work laptop down to the living room and you know, you're sitting in the evenings and you're still checking your email at ten o'clock at night. I, I think it's very important for people to, to separate the work time from the home time because otherwise you'll end up working sixteen hour days, you'll you'll get burned out, you'll you'll hate your life, you'll hate your job. I, th- I think it's very important to be able to separate the two.
1: Yeah, it's so one of the tips for that um, I know has worked for friends of mine is they, you know, you get up in the morning just like you're normally going to go to work, shower just like you're normally going to work, You maybe go for a walk, and then you come in a different door of your house even. <laughs> and just mentally change it up so that, you know, when you're going into work mode, you kind of have that separation. But um, that's a great tip. That's one of mine as well. Um, I, I recommend having an office that you you close the door behind you at five o'clock and you don't go back into <laughs> until the next morning. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you'll be working very very late. Uh, but you know the other other one for me is um, you know take advantage of the video conferencing that's available through like Hangouts and different services that are free. Um, definitely get out. You know if you, especially if you're an extrovert and you really want to get uh, that interaction time. You know get a glass of wine, call up some of your friends on Hangouts and just chat and have a good time. Uh, you don't have to be physically in person with each other to have that interaction. Uh, myself as an introvert, this is, I was born for this, <laughs> so I'm, I'm prepared in all ways. Uh, but I know my extrovert friends are getting a little antsy and, and having those issues. So you definitely hop on a hangout with your friends uh, or even your coworkers, if you're close to your coworkers and, and enjoy a, a nice glass of uh, wine or whiskey or a water, that's your purview, uh, do all those kind of things. But you can definitely keep uh, you know, your social life active if you try a little harder.
0: You know, what, what, one of the other things I'm thinking, a lot of people who never got the chance to work from home may not have a dedicated office space and they may not have you know, a good desk or a good chair or good posture. And you know, as a person who've, who's had, uh, like, horrible, like, back pain and things over the years it's really important if you're going to be sitting at home don't sit on a hard wooden kitchen chair for eight or nine hours a day go and get an office chair from ikea go, you know, make sure you're in a good, in a good position. You've got a good height on the desk and you're not bending your neck over to look at the laptop screen. It's, uh, I think it's very important to, um, you know, workplace safety is equally as important in the home as it is in the office.
1: Yep. You can get carpal tunnel anywhere.
0: Yeah. And we, we, we actually have, your posture usually is
2: way worse at home just because you don't have the facilities you have at work, especially if you don't have a home office, if you're forced to work from home and I would recommend yoga. Oh yeah. We've, do some, uh. Yeah, a little yoga in between to just get your back straightened out after sitting in probably a, a chair that wasn't made to be sitting in eight hours a day.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at a cheap chair from Home Depot, sorry, Office Depot, uh, or Staples, those chairs aren't meant to be sat in for a long time. So like I know like I missed, um, like I have like an Aeron-type chair at the office that's very nice and it's very comfy. Uh, and a few years ago, I actually went to Ikea and I bought, uh, they call it the Marcus chair, and it's about $200. But it's it's close to an Aeron you can get to without paying thousands of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, that's definitely a great recommendation. And even desks are somewhat cheap there. And, you know, Ikea is still open at least last i checked uh so if you need to go get a desk real quick and and make things worthwhile to work from home even if it costs you three or four hundred dollars out of pocket um you should make that investment because i think it's a good good investment on your health and your well-being especially since this might be several months. Uh, You might also ask your employer if they've sent you home from work, if they have any policies around letting you expense your internet services uh, or your desk or any of those kind of things to help you get acquainted. Um, I know my employer, for example, has uh, screens that you can basically uh, borrow Uh, during this time so if you need a second monitor at home uh, you go to the office and check that out from our IT department Uh, so many many companies are trying to come up with those type of things and are available to you so do ask your employer if you need something to help accommodate your work from home lifestyle
0: the thing I miss the most right now is actually um apart from the sacks and the coffee and the uh, subsidized uh, lunches and things. The thing I miss the most is the standing desk. I I love the ability to adjust the desk height up and down or even stand up and work for half a day standing up instead of sitting down. So I think um, I may actually try and invest in one of those if they're still shipping out of China right now.
1: Uh, they do have the standing desk uh, with the digital lifter up and down at Ikea, too. Oh, They nice. do, I guess. Um, and then I've also seen on Amazon, I don't know if they're still available in stock, but they have a, a kind of a tray you put on your desk, and then it, it'll, it'll actually adjust to the standing position. So you don't have to actually retrofit your whole desk. You can just get this little thing uh, that'll lift your workstation up about, you know, a foot or two, whatever you need for your height. Uh, although in Jonathan's case, it's maybe like three <laughs> or three inches.
0: Short guy problems. Sorry. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, guys, I think these are some great work from home tips, and so we uh, we do hope that all of you are active listeners, are you know enjoying the show and keeping yourselves healthy and your families healthy, and uh, we will get through this uh, very soon, hopefully.
0: If not, then the podcast can be down to uh, two hosts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's how we can get to that level but uh we'll go from there
0: well all right guys have a
1: great rest of your week uh, you know touch stay in touch on slack we're uh, we're always on the slack channel chatting with each other and you know people are asking us for advice and and stop checking in and saying hello uh, and we'd love to talk to you if you're also looking for someone to talk to we're also available to you as well so there you go yep absolutely all right guys have a great night see you later see you soon and that is the weekend cloud we'd like to thank our sponsor foghorn consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag theCloudPod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign up instructions.
0: Oh, it's going to be a long two or three months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Just try not to get a
2: divorce and try not to get anybody pregnant. I'm not sure which would be more expensive, actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they, they have their own expenses in their own ways, but one, one lasts a lot longer. So, <laughs> yeah, really. Rip a band aid off versus uh, 18 years.